Welcome to the Gospel Journey Podcast. The Gospel Journey exists to help our people get into discipling relationships that are centered on God's Word and led by His Spirit. Today we are in week 7 of Path 9, the book of 2 Timothy, and I'm joined uh, back again this week with Steve Winstead. Steve, good morning. Morning. Uh, well, excited to get back into this uh, with you, Steve. Uh, privileged to join by Ken in the previous couple weeks, and we've transitioned, Steve, since we were last together from First Thessalonians to this second half of the journey through what we have as Paul's last recorded words, his second letter to Timothy, who he repeatedly calls his son, spiritual son, his beloved son. And we begin here in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read those, Steve, and then we'll kind of launch into our discussion. You, therefore, my son, speaking to Timothy, be strong in grace, that is, in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, if you've been at Harvest for any amount of time, that idea, and even this verse, uh, maybe sounds somewhat familiar, this idea of take what you've learned and teach it to others also. In fact, it's one of the central hopes of a gospel journey group, and this really frames a continued exposition in the scriptures of Jesus' call in Matthew 28 to make disciples. Uh, this is Paul just putting a little more flesh on that here. Yeah, this uh, verse 2 is a, a verse that uh, you know I've taught on many times on the mission field and taught many times here in the States, just on the, the biblical understanding. And again, this is Paul, chapter 1, he was writing to Timothy 2, and he speaks a lot about you know keeping Timothy encouraged, built up. And now he's saying, uh, as a result, you then, Timothy, as a result of you having faith and having a strong faith, be strengthened in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. So he's building Timothy up, encouraging him, reminding Timothy that he loves him. And then he tells Timothy about the the trajectory and how his ministry is to play out, what it's to look like, that he is to uh, in, take the things that he's received from Paul. And Paul, uh, there's many things that Timothy received from from Paul that he had heard from Paul, and now yeah. he's taking, telling him to take those and pass those on. And he doesn't just say anybody; he's speaking of a certain right. type of person, right. a faithful person. Faithful, and and I, that's a good uh, distinguishing factor. And by the way, we read faithful men, but uh, and hopefully it's obvious. But let's at least state it. That's a that's a inclusive term. Uh, mankind, hu- humanity, and so yes, women to faithful women, men to faithful men, ladies. You're certainly not left out here. Uh, in, in Paul's call to to reproductive disciple making, but but you mentioned faithful, but also here he says able to teach. Now I like that because it doesn't say gifted to teach, it says able to teach, and any of us are capable of doing that. To sit down, learn God's word, and be able to communicate it and share it with others. And so this isn't for some special class of gifted Christians uh, 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 or that type of uh, of thing. It is for all Christians. Because whether you're confident in it or not, uh, the fact that God has given you uh, uh, your mind, he's blessed you with it, the ability to understand his word, he's also given you the ability to communicate his word, and we're commanded to do that here. Uh, but like you said, Steve, you know, what's the old saving? You can't, you can't carve dead wood. It's really hard to deposit these precious truths in people that are either seemingly disinterested or, or really don't value it in the way that Paul is saying, Timothy, this is very valuable. Uh, uh, be careful with how you deposit it. Yeah, and, and the truth is, he's talking about teaching people, passing it on through teaching to others who will pass it on to others. And the reality is, is we're all teaching. 
uh, in some form or another by how we live our lives, by how we treat others. People are watching, they're observing. Uh, so everyone is a teacher, whether they acknowledge that or not. Now, some may not be gifted in a classroom style of teaching. That may not be what God has called them to. Or they may not be gifted in the, you know, upfront style of teaching. But any parent is continually teaching their children uh, something in some way. So what he's telling you, and, and the key, one of the keys is Paul saying, the things that I have given to you, and he uses this word in trust. And, and that's an imperative here that he's telling Timothy, you, what I've given to you, you are to entrust to a certain type of people that you uh, are giving them a gift, expecting them to go and pass it on, mm -hmm. that there's a return on what you've entrusted. It's uh, I've heard it compared to like when we entrust money into a bank. Mm -hmm. We put our money in the bank, and we certainly expect to return and find at least the same, if not more there. And that's what he's hoping that the people that you'll entrust this to, they'll take what God has done in your life, what Paul has received, what Timothy has received from Paul, all of those things. And again, Timothy received far more than classroom teaching from Paul. Certainly. That's right. Yeah, life and truth. And the same thing he writes in the uh, letter to the, first, uh, to the church at Thessalonica at the beginning of this gospel journey, that he loved them so much that he imparted not only the truth of God, but their very lives. And so that that's a great point. I want to belabor this a little bit longer, and then we can move on to the soldier-athlete-farmer uh, theme that he, that he does through verses 3 through 6. But you already mentioned this, to faithful people. I think it's good for us to define that because if not, we can slip into some subtle legalisms in evaluating people's performance as to whether or not they're worthy for us to disciple them. And faithful, someone can be struggling. Faithful means they are a soft-hearted, repentant Christian that loves the things of the Lord, even if they're struggling. It's not a, here's our standard performance, and once you meet this standard, then I'm willing to disciple you. And so just we just want to make sure that we are defining faithful in the same way that I think our Lord Jesus does and Paul does. Is They should be bearing fruit, yes, but sometimes fruit is repentance and navigating difficulty well and just enduring through tough times. And so what I would hate is for this to drive us, when we talk about a certain type of person, I would hate if this drove us to a performance-driven mindset in which we're evaluating behavior and assessing if that person's you know worth our time or not. Yeah, and, and I love the example of Paul and Timothy because there is a, when you study Scripture, their personalities seem vastly different. Uh, Timothy is mild, meek, often described that way. I never hear Paul described mild. I never hear Paul described as meek. Uh, Timothy needs to be built up, encouraged, but Timothy is faithful. Yep. He loves the Lord, but in seasons of difficulty, and Timothy was left by Paul at a very difficult church, at the church in Ephesus, yes. one of the most difficult churches that Paul deals with. And Paul didn't do that by accident. He knew that Timothy was faithful and can handle that. But there was moments, and, and to me, this is some encouragement that Timothy's going, can I really do this? Oh, yeah. Do, do I have what it takes? And so really in chapter one, Paul is spending so much time building Timothy up. And then here, chapter two, he starts with, you're my son. Uh, I love you like a son. And now he's telling him to take what Paul has given him, which it's really this in-depth rich understanding of the gospel, how it permeates his life and how you live that out. Take the gospel and entrust the truth of the gospel into other people's lives who will pass that on to others. And it's 
almost like a, a relay. I think of um, uh, when, when I used to, to run track back in high school, you know, the relay, you pass the baton onto somebody else and you had to make that connection. Then you entrusted that person to run the next leg until they reach the next person that they're passing it on to. Now you wouldn't, if I pass the baton on and I'm the second leg, I'm not going to be the one to pass it on to the fourth leg. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what Paul, in a sense, is telling Timothy here. You're going to take this and pass this on to people that Paul, um, when you talk about faithful men and then others, those others, Paul probably encountered very few of them that would, would receive this. Yeah, if any. And that's a good illustration. When I think about running, I just quit. <laughs> uh Soldier, athlete, farmer, Steve, verses 3 through 6. These metaphors for the Christian life, really metaphors of what's going to be a picture of a disciple of Jesus. If anybody uh, even listening to this podcast is familiar with Dallin Ministries here in Memphis, you know there's, a, there's an entire uh, lecture built around this idea. Mm-hmm. And, and so we, won't, uh, we don't have time to unpack it to that degree. But big picture, when I look at this, the idea of soldier, athlete, farmer, you can put a pretty good framing on the Christian life. So soldier, I think of you don't get distracted. A- athlete, I think, as far as, as competing according to God's standards, which I, I really read to be holiness, truthfulness, mm-hmm. uprightness. Uh, those are the rules by which we are to compete. And then farmer is a sense of endurance. You, you, mm-hmm. you navigate, you endure till the harvest. You, you, when it doesn't seem like the rains are coming, you endure with the hope that you know they will eventually that fruit will come so soldier athlete farmer uh, strategic chosen metaphors uh, by the holy spirit through paul to really frame the christian life yeah I, i've always loved these because they're pictures even as i was driving to school today i was uh playing this uh second timothy chapter two on the radio and my boys were, were listening to it and i i paused and said hey how does paul uh, how's he describing the Christian life? What y'all hear? And they, you know, elementary age are able to pick these out mm. and talk about what they look like. And the distinction that where people have to be careful is we are uh, redeemed through Christ finished work alone. Mm. He does all the work. Uh, coming to Christ, salvation is his. He's the one who brings us to himself. He's the one who brings faith into us. Uh, he is the one who converts us. Yet once we are converted, the sanctification process through which God grows us and matures us, we have a cooperation in that. There's yeah. a part of we, we bring right. something to the table, that's right. and that's the picture here. Uh, I, I remember when he talks about a, a soldier. I remember Soup Campbell teaching me around this table years ago on this, and he would always talk about the tomb of the unknown soldier, and he would talk about how these men he would would guard this tomb of a, of a dead man who they didn't know who it was. 24-7, every day of the year, there's always somebody guarding it no matter what. They'll guard the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier in hurricanes. They'll guard it no matter the condition. And, and one of the things I got out of that is, in some sense, this task of guarding a tomb of a, of a, of a dead man doesn't seem worth laying your life down for. It doesn't seem really worth the sacrifice that these men are doing. They're called to what seems like a lower-level task than being on the front lines of the battle. Mm. But they're faithful with it. And that's what a soldier does. Whatever task he's called to do, he's faithful with it. And that's the picture of us as a Christian. We're to be faithful mm-hmm. with whatever God has called us to do. And sometimes uh, I know I can be guilty of looking up what somebody else is doing and being amazed at it, going, man, uh, what God called me to maybe doesn't seem as, as grand and as big, but 
be faithful. That's what a soldier is. Whatever task he's assigned, he's faithful to that task. And doesn't argue with his orders. No. And that's what's so interesting, even in a culture built on individual freedom, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, but when that creeps into the way we interact with Jesus, it's almost as if we bring our opinion to the table, Jesus' opinion to the table, and weigh out which one may be better. Well, uh, we are always necessarily wrong if we disagree with Jesus. Just like as a lower-ranking soldier, uh, if he bucks up against his superior, he's disciplined for that because it comes with the identity of being a soldier is knowing your place and receiving your commands from from a high-ranking officer. And for us, Christ is king. Absolutely. Christ is king, and so what he says goes. And the great thing is, this transcends Paul's analogy because uh, soldier to soldier, a ranking officer to, to a lower ranking officer, those can be flawed commands. Our king only gives perfect and good commands to which we're called to adhere to. Yeah, uh, you know, we all have opinions and views on things, but ultimately as we disciple and invest in people, we want to take them back to, hey, I want to bring you back to the word of God. And I always tell people if there's anything I ever say or do that, seems to run contrary or conflict with the Word of God, realize I'm a broken, fallen person, but the Word of God is is, is our marching orders. It's, it's our uh, command. It's what we live by, and it's for our good, and it's given to us by God's rich mercy and grace. So this is what we live by and come up under is His Word. This is how God has chosen to speak to His people, primarily through Scripture. Well, and, and, and that transition us, transitions us down to verse 7, I really I wanted to look at these here briefly uh, before we get to this early church creed in verses 11 down through 13. But he says in verse 7, consider what I say. Uh, that, that idea, consider, it's almost a mathematical idea. It's sit down and think about how it fits together. Weigh it. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. There is a sense that... Uh, Part of our daily responsibilities as a Christian is sitting down with God's Word, asking the Spirit to speak to us from it, to give us understanding it. Now, certainly we need to check that in community because we can get off on some weird, we're fine, we don't always interpret or hear the Holy Spirit in the correct way. But the point is this, Paul's saying, weigh the words of God, consider them, and ask God to help you understand them. Why? Because of what you just said. This is our our, our foundation for it's, I love asking this to my four, my four year old. Where do you learn to love and obey God? And the answer is the Bible. The Bible. Mm-hmm. You learn to love and obey God from the Bible. And Paul's saying you need to consider that and ask the Lord to help us. And then look at verse nine. He says, though he's bound like a criminal, and I love this last part. The word of God is not bound. There is promise. There, there, there's a promised inherent power to the word of God. Yeah. And, and again, that's where we take people back to is standing on the Word of God, trusting the Word of God. And, and you mentioned something how sometimes we can be reading the Word of God and we can end up in some places that we take a, something out of context or we don't understand it well. And that's where God has gifted us with the body of Christ. And I'll tell you, I turn both to saints who are living and who I, I trust, but I also often turn to saints who have gone before us who have looked at this. And, and on most things, I found that God will bring enough clarity 
that I can trust and move forward on understanding about any passage of Scripture. Now, there may be some I end up going, hey, this could go either way on this uh, issue, but God gives enough clarity that you can move forward in confidence in how you live in light of that. Yeah, and this gets to, honestly, the heart of what, what drives the the format of, the, of gospel journey groups centered on God's Word is uh, we, we don't feel the need, at least now, to bring in other curriculums. We're going to get to... God's word as our primary curriculum, for lack of a better word, in any of our discipleship times is taking it to the word of God itself. All right, Steve, let's, you know, you're more of a historical guy than me. Not that I don't appreciate it. I'm just not as well versed in it. Most likely verses 11 through 13 are parenthetically set off because it is a, it's a formulaic creed. It's something that, 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 uh, very plausibly we can believe the early church memorized this and recited this. Most of this is pretty easy to digest, pretty straightforward. But then you get to this part in 12 of if we deny him, he will also deny us. And I think one thing we make and help gospel journey groups do this morning is navigate that idea. And so I'll, uh, in pastoral humility, we'll defer to you to first tackle this idea of if we deny him, he will deny us. Yeah. No. Thanks. I don't know if I have the answer on this one, I, I think the clearest thing is if we deny Christ as being the one who came from God, is God the God-man taking on flesh to reconcile us back to God the Father through his atoning sacrifice? To deny that, um, he's going to deny us. So it's it's a rejection of, of who he is, is the ultimate um, denial that we can make is, hey, uh, we can say creeds, we can come to church, we can go through motions, but in our hearts, if there is a denial of the reality that Christ is, is, is the way, the truth, and the life, as it says in John 14, that he is the one who came to reconcile us to the Father, that we are saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ, if there's a denial of those things, then he's going to deny that we are his, and I like I like the way you put that. I think that um, you know you mentioned you can say the creed, deny them in your heart. There, I uh, was even reading in Jeremiah this morning, uh, where again it's this idea of the nation of Israel that God would say, "Your lips are close to me, and your heart is not." And that's me paraphrasing. And and I think the the concept of what you're talking about, uh, this idea of denial, which which you unpacked um um, in in a, in a very clear way, the fruit of that I think is unrepentant sin till the mm-hmm. very end. I mean, the fruit of it really is 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 our lifestyle either justifies the fact that we're justified, or or gives evidence that we aren't haven't actually been justified by Jesus. And so, uh, denying Him can take on a, if your life is categorized by unrepentant sin, lack of grief over sin, lack of sorrow over sin. It really does not matter how many creeds you recite, how involved you are in your local church. How you, uh, Biblically considered, it's not congruent for someone to profess Jesus and live in unrepentant sin. Doesn't mean we won't have seasons of it, but ultimately the distinguishing mark of a Christian and non-Christian is repentance. And I do think that's partly so. So, so the thing that trips people most of it. Well, Paul's writing to Timothy. He's maybe including an early church creed, 
So Christians are the ones presumed to be saying this. Mm-hmm. So why are Christians saying Jesus is going to deny us if we deny him? And this dovetails into, well, you can truly know the Lord and then reject him and then not know him anymore. And I think maybe another way you could view this is oh, uh, they've worked this in so that uh, uh, they can fight against false conversion in the church. They don't want someone to believe there's something that they're not just for the safety of their own soul. And this denial part being, I mean, if you look at your life and go, I'm 20 years in sin, I'm not really convicted, uh, it may be time to do some some real soul evaluation. Yeah, false, false conversion or a, a weak understanding of conversion can definitely um, hurt the church, hurt people, because there are people who have confidence they're a Christian based on something that happened when they were a young person, moving, going forward, walking an aisle, praying a prayer, um, being baptized. And if they don't, if you don't continually see that fruit of repentance in their life, then the question is, um, did what they profess happen actually happen? Because as you said, the clearest mark, now I think fruitfulness, uh, the fruit of the spirit, even at times fruit of ministry can be indicators, but the one that trumps everything, I think, as far as is a person a new creation in Christ is repentance. And Paul takes this denial. If you go back to verse 8, he built this up and he said, Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. So again, he comes right back to the purity. That's what he he couched all of this in the purity of the gospel. And I think it's very interesting that Paul says, my gospel. Uh, there is only one gospel, the gospel, the true gospel. But there's always people who are preaching something, calling it the gospel That's right. when it's a counterfeit. Yes. So Paul's making it clear. What I'm preaching is the true gospel. Well, and he's he's transitioning a bit to helping Timothy battle against false teachers who have made their way into the church. Or at least, in, in, if not in his church, either maybe another Ephesian house church or the Ephesian church at large, or maybe they're giving public lectures that contradict what Timothy's preaching. And so, yeah, Paul's owning that is, is uh, 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 that's poignant. He's saying there is only one, and it's the one that I preach. Now, we even get into here 14 down through the end of the chapter is, uh, Paul starts, starts, starts digging in against these false teachers. He acknowledges what they're teaching. The crazy thing is he acknowledges that they can work their way into the very church that even Timothy's pastoring, and he's giving Timothy some guidelines to engaging these false teachers. Now, I do think there are, so, so I do think that's, that's correct contextually. I also think there's some implications and applications of that for us just as Christians in our gospel journey groups. So I'm not saying anybody's coming to the gospel journey groups wanting to teach false things. But there's a principle in 14 that goes beyond false teachers. Let's look at it. Remind them of these things. Charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. There's a degree to which even Christians can get so sideways on peripheral matters that it disrupts fellowship, it disrupts unity, uh, uh, love is lost, bitterness, uh, uh, rivalry almost comes into play. And we don't, they, we don't have to list all those areas of theology off this morning. But keeping the main thing the main thing, is, as idiomatic as that sounds, it really is vital in Christian unity. That's why Paul puts a creed right before this, mm-hmm. which is basically saying, everyone agree to this. 
holding this is absolutely essential. These doctrines I just gave you, the resurrection of Jesus, endurance, perseverance, faithfulness. See, you start getting too far on the periphery, and then you get Christian division over maybe not what are unimportant things, but certainly things that shouldn't rise to that level. Yeah, and it's it's easy as someone uh, is passionate about an area, either that they've been studying or experiencing their own walk with Christ, to place that upon everybody else's, this is the ultimate, this is what everybody should be doing. And Paul always takes it right back to a, a right understanding of the gospel. The one thing that we see Paul really get upset and angry about is a perversion of the gospel. So again, if there's something we should really look and go, we're going to divide on, it's any understanding that the gospel is and does something different than what we hold it to do. That's right. or, or, or that the uh, for one of ours... We've been hit on this in the last few weeks in, in our worship services and our sermons is an understanding that the, the, there's gospel perks here on earth. And that's why we are faithful to Christ, because we're going to get these things and stuff. And that if we 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 while most people listen, I assume will look at the idea of a prosperity gospel and go, I don't believe that if I follow Christ, he's going to bless my life. Oftentimes that subtly creeps in. So when difficulty oh, and pain comes in, we go, well, I've been walking with the Lord and faithful. Why, why is this happening? So that is one of the greatest perversions of our day is an, a, a prosperity understanding of the gospel. When the gospel is you get Christ and that's enough. That's right. And I love before we go, we're going to skip a, a bunch down here because uh, uh, I want to hit on this. Uh, we're about out of time. I want to hit on the last bit of this chapter too, Steve. But I love the fact that 14 begins with remind them. Mm-hmm. We don't need uh, we're not sitting around waiting for some new insight or new biblical teaching or something like it. All we need to know, mostly we just need to be reminded of. It's set in stone. It's not changing who Jesus is, who God is, what God came to do, the sinfulness of man. It, and most of the time, maybe that gets old to us and that says something about us. But but Paul's really clear. He's about to he's about to be executed. And he's not introducing Timothy to new things. He's reminding him of what he says is foundational to his faith. And I think that's a pretty, that, that, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, I've, I've often felt the temptation just being someone who enjoys studying the Word. I've always wanted when I'm leading a group or teaching to bring some insight that somebody hasn't seen before to the teaching. And the more I've taught and I've realized that the, the greatest gift that we can give to one another as we teach as we gather on Sunday mornings to hear the word is the continual reminder of how to live in light of the gospel, to be encouraged by that reality and to, to live that out because the world is going to continually tell us to find our hope and our value and our worth and our contentment in things other than Christ. So we continually bring everybody right back to that, uh, understand the gospel. Jamie, he, he gives some other pictures down in like verse 20. Uh, one is of, of, instruments used for different use, uh, some honorable, some dishonorable. And I thought that was really interesting, him talking about just how things are used for different purposes. And Yeah, absolutely. And and to being set apart, is he, start, he starts distinguishing either true Christians from uh, false converts or true teachers from false teachers, saying, look, if you truly know the Lord, uh, the honorable use part that applies to you. Mm-hmm. 
but you may be in the same household as someone of dishonorable use, which Paul would say is an opponent of the gospel. And don't be shocked when they, it, it, the reality is at harvest, even on Sunday mornings, we should not be shocked to learn that there may actually be some opponents, whether they are consciously aware or not, of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And it's even, it's at least biblically possible that there's some people trying to subtly work their way in to preach a false gospel. And so the, the idea of guarding the good deposit, of protecting God's sheep, of, of drawing a fence around these essential components, saying we will, we will not move, uh, that's, that is uh, one of the highest callings and roles anyone can play for the sake of Christ, is the guarding and protecting of the truth. Okay, Steve, last thing before we wind down. we got to uh, mm-hmm. uh, move on to, to next next week, week uh, chapter 3, which I look forward to doing with you. But I, I massively struggle with 24 through 26. I love correcting opponents. It is hard to do it gently. It's hard to do it gently because, A, I think most arguments are, are they don't actually hold weight. I just don't think they're very good, and I can get arrogant towards that. Uh, but secondly, I I don't have in mind the salvation of of a gospel opponent. I have in mind a proving them wrong if I'm engaged. And here Paul says, gentleness may be the very thing that God uses to bring even the opponent of the gospel to saving faith in Jesus Christ. So we have to remember, even when, and this is a good point, of application for dialoguing with anyone that disagrees with us about anything is gentleness in our speech may be the very thing that God has, that God will use to actually win someone towards himself. And I uh, would, I admittedly struggle with that because I'm about proving the point, winning the argument and the truth of God winning the day, but I could win that battle and someone even be more repulsed because of how I carry myself amidst the argument. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I, and I think it's good. As you talk about that, I see the same thing in myself. And I think if a lot of us are honest, we see that in ourselves. I remember uh, the story of Nabil Qureshi. He's a, uh, uh, a brother in Christ who has, who has died, but he was, uh, in, he was a Muslim in uh, college, and his roommate was a follower of Jesus. And Nabil is a brilliant, brilliant man. He ended up uh, going to work for Ravi Zacharias Ministries. But he talks about coming to Christ and how his roommate, uh, though his roommate was very intelligent, never sought to win the argument, never sought to argue him to faith or down what, uh, what Nabil believed. It was through his love and his care and his gentleness that actually broke through to uh, Nabil Qureshi. So I again see that and go, our gentleness, very, very few people are one to Christ through an argument and especially an argument that is harsh. Yeah, angry, harsh, yeah, vindictive tone, condescending tone, all the things I'm great at. Yeah, you're right. It's it's gentleness and it's, it's, it's loving that person. And for me, it, it's reminding myself that, hey, my job is not to... Uh, try to win the argument, not to present the best case. My job is to love with Christ's love and to present the truth of the gospel and allow that seed to do its work. I can't do the work of the seed. That's right. And and just 
as we wrap up by way of implication, in your gospel journey groups, you may disagree on some things, and this is a little bit outside of this particular context, but we do ask that let your conversations with one another be gentle and seasoned with salt, especially if you have some areas of disagreement. Well, Steve, I hope that we bless some folks as they navigate the gospel journey. Uh, looking at 2 Timothy 2, and I look forward to next week when uh, you and I will talk about chapter 3.